so so wait 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 <laughs> jump in here so your entire work is created with that little tiny bitty bitty pen yes <laughs> now I'm even more amazed right <laughs> Today you are here with Sky Becker Yamakawa and Catherine Moore. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Sky. Hi. What have you been working on? I've put out to my newsletter and online and everything, but this year I'm kind of revamping my business a little bit. So I'm going to be doing fewer group shows. So I'm trying to focus more attention on building a series of work. Maybe that'll get a solo show somewhere. I don't know. (laughs) I'm working on focusing on just creating art without having an actual show attached to it. And I'm also really throwing a lot of energy into building inventory for Raven. So there's a myriad of things working on right now. I'm really excited to just not have show, 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 just working on some stuff. So yeah, so right now I'm I'm just, I'm doing a lot of sketching and pulling some stuff together. I don't have like a huge direction yet, but I'm getting there. Right. No, I relate to 100% of everything you just said. I think we need to sync our calendars and maybe we'll hold each other accountable. We'll say you have to have this amount of paintings done for your show. Yeah. Each week or weekly. We can check it and say (laughs) How many have you gotten done so far? Yeah, Because that, that's the hardest part, right? If, if you're creating your own body work, and I think that this is a very good thing that we should be doing. Mm-hmm. I see your art and I'm so excited to see what you're going to produce because I think that you'll really come into your own understanding and flourish. The tricky part though is, is that you could spend forever on the development side of it. Right. You can. The thing is, is the part that I really enjoy about creating work is the painting. So I can't wait to get to that phase, which helps me to move forward a little bit. <laughs> like, get me out of the sketching phase. Right. The painting phase. Yeah. But I think with doing this as well, the problem with that is, I'm afraid for me, what I'll end up doing is I'll be so excited to get to paint. Yeah. I'm done with this is that I'll jump into the painting and then I'll be like two or three paintings in. I'll be like, so now where am I going to go? Yeah. Like, uh-oh. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why I have to make sure that all the sketches are done up front before I start painting because I'll lose interest. Or You'll lose interest. Yeah. You're like group show. Oh, well, I could do that instead. I'll just take a break. And then all of a sudden it's like, what happened to that? Right. Solo body you were Right. Well, I, you know, I'm going to approach it like I did the last time I did a solo show, which is I didn't have sketches done, but I listed out, wrote out, I'm going to do this piece, this piece, this, I wrote it out exactly what I wanted for each piece and then springboarded off of that when I started doing the sketches. And that worked. And that works for me. Yeah. It doesn't work for everybody. Everybody has their own way of working, but I did that. And then I would do maybe three sketches at one time and then transfer them and then start. It wasn't all doing a bulk of work at once because that helps me not get bored. So I was going back and forth between painting and sketching, painting and sketching. So yeah, that's what works for me. However it works for you. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I like the idea of keeping each other accountable. That's a good idea. I think we have to do that. Yeah. Well, maybe are you anyways. on track? Right. Are you on track? Where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm off in the weeds. I'm in the weeds. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been distracted. There was a shiny object exactly. in my backyard of all places. Right. Yeah, that is me. <laughs> so what about you? What are you working on? <laughs> We're 10 days out from Valentine's Day. So I have my 30 and 30 and I'm in the middle of creating and sharing and organizing that whole deal. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. Thanks. So we will be right back 
with an interview. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Skye. Hi. So tell me, what is Polka Dot Raven? So Polka Dot Raven is a joint venture between myself and my friend Leilani Bustamante. She's also a fabulous artist. We've combined our imaginations to offer original artwork and products with a darkly whimsical flair. Great. And so what type of products do you offer? So we offer original paintings using various mediums depending on the project. We have fine art prints, we have wood-mounted prints, hand-painted pendant jewelry, framed lover's eyes, and much more. Cool. And what is the price range? The price range is generally between $10 and $150. But since we have some original works, they may be upwards of $500. But we do offer products that can be affordable to everyone. And where is Polka Dot Raven? Polka Dot Raven is basically run out of our homes here in the Bay Area in Oakland. We have an online shop that you can visit or you can check us out at one of the art markets we go to where we hawk our wares. We're currently vending at markets in Northern California throughout the year, but are planning to expand further as we grow our product line. Great. So you can find us on our website, which is polkadotraven.com, or you can follow along. We are on Instagram at polkadotraven. Hello and welcome back. Today we are here with Julia Checkinger. Hi, Julia. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm such a fan of the podcast. This is so exciting. Oh, thank you. So we're going to start with our basic questions. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Amityville, a small coastal town on Long Island, New York, like very in the middle of the island. <laughs> uh, did you go to college for art? I did. I went to the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan and I went for a BFA in illustration with a, they don't call it a minor there, but it was like a focus in fine art. And where is your studio located? I currently have my same studio I've always had in Amityville, New York, which is a garage renovated situation into a studio, but I love it. It's cozy. It's fun. <laughs> nice. Cool. Yeah. And what medium do you use? I use ink and graphite primarily on paper. Quick question. So you're from Amityville. I am. <laughs> you've, you've been to the house then. I live next to the house. <gasps> you do? <laughs> my house is the one adjacent to the house. So it's like the oh, house, no. here, my house is on the T right here. <laughs> <laughs> and I think today is actually sadly the anniversary of it. Oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh, really? So oh my gosh. I've drawn that house a few times. Really? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Come over, you can get the reference. <laughs> I was, she's from Amityville. I actually did a piece of the Amityville house, and then I had Jody the pig sitting in front of it, and someone bought it, and she said that she lives not too far from that house. Like, she's, like, right no. up the street, so you must be no neighbors. Thing. Yeah, isn't oh, that crazy? I have to go stalk you after this. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Oh, wow. so anyway, <laughs> you have <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll get to the interview questions. I had to get that out. Oh, understandable. <laughs> yeah, very drawn to your work. I love it mostly because I have such a soft spot for pen and ink. Maybe because I'm not good at doing it. But I just I always love it. Black and white works. I love. I think pen and ink works are really just gorgeous especially when they're done very well like yours are so what drew you to working with that medium I think it's very rooted in childhood because growing up my mother is a photographer currently still today um and growing up she was primarily a film photographer who worked only in black and white in my home there were just so many grainy photographs black and white grainy photographs of my life 
the best memories that I shared with my loved ones were always seen through the lens of this black and white grainy filter. And I'm very lucky that I have a very close relationship with my family and a lot of very good childhood memories were seen through that sort of lens. So I think I started to be drawn to want to express my feelings through art and the things that I love and that I'm passionate about in the way that I grew up learning that visual language of how to see it and express it. (laughs) I don't know if that makes perfect sense. No, it does. Yeah, yeah. I think you kind of end up doing art of the things that you're surrounded by or you're touched by. I think that's really important. So that's really interesting. That's awesome. Your mom's a photographer. Have you done full color paintings? I have. So I started as a painter, if you want to call it like started as it was back before college or anything, actually was in a few acrylic books and oh, got very into acrylic work, but I just felt like there was something missing from the visual language. I I don't know a better term to describe it, but it was almost, it's like I learned to speak French, but it wasn't my native language. And I, stippling was more like the language that I was born to work in. And I do love painting. And I think that learning to paint first and learning my foundation in painting gave me the tools to learn how to properly document the real world. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for the time that I spent acrylic painting. It just didn't end up being my primary medium. Right. I think we all, especially if we went through art school, like we all dabbled in little things. (laughs) And then it's like, all yeah, like this is cool. This is cool. I remember I did, there was one semester where we did nothing but black and white pen and ink. (laughs) drawings and that's when I found out oh this was not my meeting <laughs> no, yeah 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 there were some people in class that I was like oh my gosh so good it's like well, you were the that I was jealous that because you're such an amazing painter <laughs> you know I wish I loved it more I wish it was something I had stuck with because I appreciate it and I have so much respect for it you know but it wasn't me <laughs> yeah it just I'm not connecting with this like, oh, I can go and do oil painting. So that's where I went. So what do you find most satisfying working in your chosen medium? I think what's most satisfying is, I guess if I'm being really honest, this is, I don't think I've ever given this answer, but I think it's the most honest answer is that I don't have to go back over the work. So it's kind of like whatever I'm feeling in that moment comes across and I don't go back over it. So the way I work is kind of like a printer if you could think of it like that, like I go line by line and kind of print like in the moment. If I get the idea, like I want this animal to feel melancholy or happy. And I really visualize that and have a moment with the piece, you know, drawing the eye or the face mm-hmm. it's done. I could take a breath and step back and I never go back over my work usually, unless there's like an obvious mistake that I need to go fix, which happens. But I mean, I don't go back over all the areas. So I think that's what I find satisfying about working like this is it's almost a very meditative style in that way. You just kind of motions and you never look back. And I find that to be as someone who struggles with certain anxieties and things, I I find it a very meditative process, very satisfying. Right. That's really interesting. I've seen your videos that you make, the little time lapses and stuff. And I'm like, it is. It's like you're like a little printer. It's like it just like starts. And it's all, and I think that's what I love about it. I'm like, wow. It's like that. My boyfriend was saying that recently. He's like, you're, it's like a printer. And I'm like, I guess it kind of you're is. Like, yeah. yeah, it kind of is. I'm a human printer. But with more flair. More so what do you find most challenging about your medium I think the two answers go really hand in hand because the challenge is like you kind of can't look back so it's mm-hmm. if I make a mistake if I'm tired and I knock a cup of coffee on the paper oh my god we're 200 hours deep what the heck do we do now <laughs> right I think that it's the type of medium that you have to have patience with and have a lot of discipline. I think that that both a challenge, but a good challenge that made me, I think, a a better worker was that this medium pushed me to be a much more disciplined individual. I think it forced me to take it very seriously. If I'm going to invest that much time, I have to have discipline. So although it's scary, and that's not always a good thing to be so stressed around my work, I think it's also good in the sense that it taught me a lot of discipline. I'm just curious before we leave this, When you're working with the ink, and if you make a mistake, you put ink somewhere where it was like, oh, that wasn't right. Yes. What do you do? Do you white out or? Okay, so I have come up with a method. There's, there's three methods. 
And we go with whichever one seems best for that scenario. So you can, and maybe you guys already know this, but if anyone didn't know this, if you use an electric eraser on ink, you can get it back to a certain degree. At least I have found that because maybe I'm not pushing super hard. So because it's just light little dots, they're not really sunk deep into the paper. With an electric eraser, I can kind of rub it out. If it's a bad mistake, I find that I don't use whiteout because it's not archival and I use archival things. So sometimes I'll use like an archival gouache and I'll just cover up a little spot with white. Or I have actually used an X-Acto blade and I've scratched off a little bit of the top layer of the paper. And it's pretty hard to even tell because I do varnish these at the end. I usually mount them and varnish them. So it'd be almost impossible to tell. But that's how I do it. But the main reason is just <laughs> really try to make it not happen in the first place. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to ask you more about your finishing process, but we're going to back up a little. And I wanted to talk about, do you use a stipple technique? Am I saying yeah. it correctly? Yeah, okay. I'm so curious about your process. So for our audience who might not be familiar with what a stipple technique is, can you explain it, please? Absolutely. So basically in simple terms, it's the art of using a very fine tip instrument I use a pen to create imagery all in the same color or mostly and I don't actually know if it's technically can be different colors stipple I think typically refers to black and white pointillism is Surratt or one of the artists who work in color dots stippling is basically like tattoo art where it's you're going in with monochrome and you're creating a scene I use the same size tip the whole time tip or maybe a little bit of a bigger tip but it's kind of just making a whole image with dots. What type of pen do you use? Or do you use like a, yeah, what kind of pen? I use a, they're very small. I actually had one with me because I thought, I don't know if you can see it. I, I think this is just vocal, but it is the size of a needle tip. It's a Micron 003. So I actually have to special order them. The smallest they usually come in is 005. I do work exclusively with Sakura products because I find that they're archival. They're the best for me personally. And the tip stays very strong. And I also use graphite in my work. So the backgrounds are done with pencils and everything. But that is kind of a different topic in and of itself. It's kind of a mixed medium, I guess. So, so, so wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Jump in here. So your entire work is created with that little tiny bitty bitty pen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now I'm even <laughs> more amazed. <Right. laughs> I don't know because <laughs> I've done pointillism and kudos to you for doing it. <laughs> the pointillism piece that I did, I was 10 hours in and I get, you know, this little tiny bit done and I'm like, I can't. <laughs> like in my head, I'm like, I could put it on my easel <laughs> and it would have been done. <laughs> but I totally appreciate like you said, the time, the dedication, man. And it's oh, now oh. I find out it's a little tiny thing. Okay. <laughs> you work on paper. You work on watercolor paper. Yes, I work Arches uh, hot press paper. Yep, exactly. Okay. In school, though, you probably did illustration board. I did, yes. I worked on illustration board in school. And Arches hot press watercolor that I archivally mount to birch panel using a uh, Beva film, which is a museum grade adhesive. It's archival and it, so it's kind of like I'm working on birch panel, but it's, it has my special paper mounted or not special paper, but the paper that I work on mounted. And that way I could varnish it. So you do it on the paper. Do you, you mount the paper to the board after the piece is complete? I do. Yeah. Which is really scary. And I probably shouldn't do that. I probably should do it first, but <laughs> we would normally do it after. And I just got it down to kind of, at this point and fingers crossed I need to knock on something but I haven't messed it up so far <laughs> and then you do the the graphite and you use pencils do you ever do powdered graphite where you work with a brush yeah. well okay. I do powdered graphite and I learned this technique from which I think you guys know that he was my teacher Travis Louie and I can go on about him for hours but he taught me this technique where you use a brush to rub graphite and powdered graphite onto the paper so it's kind of a weird technique I tape all the edges if you've ever seen my videos or if anyone wanted to go back and see what I'm talking about I tape the edges with a pH neutral tape and then I scribble with whatever lead I want. So let's say I want it to be kind of a mid-tone dark. I'll use a 4B lead and I'll scribble on the tape and then use a firm gesso brush 
to pull in that graphite and kind of create my own powdered graphite that I can control much, much, much easier that way. And although it's more time consuming, because you have to repeat that process a lot of times, I find you get that really cool like vignette. I, I think I'm saying that word wrong for vignette look and the corners. I and mean, that's how I work typically. Wow. I, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> so weird. you have the graphite <laughs> and you have the ink on mm -hmm. paper and you varnish. You, you mean, when you say varnish, you mean, you don't mean like a liquid varnish with a brush. You mean a, you spray a fixative. I use an acrylic, uh, like a golden's varnish liquid in an airbrush. So okay. I spray. Airbrush, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. Because all I can imagine is a brush and all of the beautiful work. Just oh my god! <laughs> my nightmares. No, no. It's a. It I made a, a mistake before. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was like. Just. <laughs> yeah. No. no. I like an airbrush. Yes, and I actually do use airbrush sometimes in my work in other ways like to if it's a larger one sometimes I'll use an airbrush just to get like a tone in the background but you're normally I just airbrush on my varnish okay <laughs> that explains a lot I know I should I'm sorry I'm it's a hard process to explain I feel like I'm so confusing it is not <laughs> oh. do you keep a sketchbook I do. I think that's a very important part of my process, actually. I love going to get my own reference photography, and it's something that I've always done. Even though I'm not a great photographer, I still like to just document my own trees, my own birds, if possible. And I'll usually take a reference photo and mark the time and everything, and then I'll try to sketch the surrealistic part of the concept in the moment. So I bring my sketchbook when I hike, when I go in nature, go to the beach. It's a very important part of my process. Want to back up to the camera? We've had some artists talk a lot about cameras. What do you use as your camera? Do you use your phone? Is there a special camera you use? I have a Canon T T D. I want to say it's called with a Tamron lens on it, but. I'm not probably qualified to have a nice camera like that. It's just that it was my mom's old camera. And as I mentioned, she's the real photographer. So I love using my iPhone for photos, not knocking it whatsoever. I just happen to have grown up with the ability to have that camera. So I thought, you know, I might as well use it. <laughs> it's a digital or no? It's a digital. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you do your sketch and then do you transfer the image to your the watercolor paper or do you just freehand it again? No, I do transfer it. So from the concept sketch in my sketchbook, I'll then use the reference photos that I took and that sketch to build a very finished looking sketch. And the finished looking sketch, I scan into my computer, touch it up if needed, and then I project that onto the arches paper and then trace an outline that I can then just start stippling into. Okay. And then I have one more question before we leave this. Sure. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had an artist who does the stippling technique or the no. graphite. So oh, yeah. very curious. Yeah, first. yeah. Oh, I'm so honored. <laughs> <laughs> when you start a piece with oil painters, everybody with watercolors, it's always like I start with the dark and then move to the light or I start with light. What do you start with when you start a piece? Dark, light, gray, midtones or... <laughs> I start with, I know this is weird, but as I said, like, I get very into being in the moment with my pieces and being in the moment with my characters. So I will usually start with the eyes and the mouth of the character to make sure that I get the expression that I wanted to come across. And then after that moment happens, and I'm like, okay, like, we got it. This is good. I feel good about this piece. I go straight forward, darkest to lightest. I actually have a homemade stippling graph that I use now in my reference photography and I'm literally it's exactly darkest to lightest and the end I don't add any white to my work so the white is just the white of the paper so it goes in the order of darkest to lightest stippling graphite background and secondary characters in graphite and then I go back in with an electric eraser and bring out any highlights my moons my stars the, the parts of my piece that are very bright so that's the order of it you have your scale on the side yeah. that you're looking for references how many different shades are in your scale oh I wish it had it with me right now it's uh, we can have an estimate be like 10 or maybe I have think, like 50 <laughs> I think it's 20 it's like 10 main groups 10 subcat subcategories I have it like one through 10 and then a through I, I don't know what <laughs> I'm sorry no it's, <laughs> this is all new information it's really interesting it's, 
I see that you do do some teaching. Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> so what classes have you taught and what are you currently teaching? It's kind of a tough question to answer in the sense that I don't think that I qualify to be labeled as a teacher yet. Okay. I'm very early in my career and I feel like what I'm passionate about is sharing some of the tips and tricks that I've learned while experimenting with this unique process. I feel like I have had some really great teachers who were understanding that I wasn't really a traditional student in the sense of I wanted to go a more traditional route medium wise. And I think that for other students who were drawn to a similar medium like the stipple or ink, I've just loved to share some tips about that. I've taught a few classes now and I'm going to be teaching more very soon on the Daisy app, which is a platform. Basically how it works is it's almost like a social media platform where you log in, you have a calendar of what's coming up and it's a live session where you can ask me questions and the artists get paid based on how many seats or people attend the session. So it's a really great way for artists to make a secondary income. I have found it to be really helpful. And I find that people have responded really well to being able to ask me questions right live right now while I'm demonstrating something. So I'll typically demonstrate what I'm doing. I feel like I'm not a really qualified teacher, but I do feel like through experimentation, I have found some tips and tricks that I have not been able to look up. So if I could share that with people and it helps even just one young student, that, that would make me really happy. I went to the Daisy app when I saw that you had it on there. I hadn't heard of that before, which is interesting. Yeah. You said it's like a social media app. So does that mean people, maybe professional artists that want to teach or something, they log in and then you have students join in at the same time? Like, exactly. how, like I'm like trying to wrap my like head around it. Kind of like a Zoom meeting. Well, I think it actually is quite literally a Zoom meeting. So basically, it's like going to a normal class in the sense that there's a time. It starts at 12. The teacher logs in, lets everyone in. In that case, I was the teacher. And you, they say, okay, Juliet, you get 30 minutes. Please plan out your course. And then if you follow me after the course, you can ask me questions. We can talk live. We can message in the chat. And then if you want, I believe it's still up. They record it. So let's say you're busy at 12. You can log in after and watch my thing. And then I can give a, they call it homework, but it's really just a project that I think would be a good introduction or mid-level, advanced, whatever to get your skills sharpened on the topic that you teach, which is a really nice platform, actually. I like it. The session isn't pre-recorded. You do that live? Exactly. So it's live. If you miss it, it becomes pre-recorded. It becomes recorded. Okay. Interesting. That's really cool. Like I was looking at it as all, I want to see her lesson. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> really fun. I other people's too. And people approach it totally different than me. People approach it in really unique ways. It's kind of just very open-ended and very, you design it. So there's no, oh, you have to do this. And at minute 20, I want you to give a lesson. It's very just, how do you think that you can share your knowledge in a way that's helpful and motivating to people who are interested in this topic? And I found them to be very, very helpful when I've joined other teachers' classes. And I think it's a really great platform. I definitely promote it. Awesome. How did you get involved working with them? I sadly did not know they existed. They approached me. Oh, they had found me through. It was a beautiful, bizarre article, I want to say. It was either Modern Eden Show or an article maybe about a Modern Eden Show. And then they had messaged me saying that they actually saw my work in this article and show about the article and that they were very interested because it looked like a very different style than any of the current teachers that they had as artists. And it's not just artists, it's anything. Like there's some famous actors and actresses on there. There's some famous writers, there's famous musicians. It's across the board, just kind of a creative platform. So they had just reached out and asked me if I would be willing to make a class. And I said, absolutely, I would love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. You do have interaction with the students, but it's after the class or can they chime in while you're teaching? I had a message during while I'm teaching. I've had people okay. say, okay, stop, stop, stop. You're, <laughs> I don't, I mean, and I'm like, yes, please do that. This is for you. I, as I said, I'm probably not. I'm not good. That's not a strong suit is explaining stuff. So I love it when people chime in and they definitely can. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. What do you enjoy most about teaching others how to art? <laughs> I think I just feel like, excitement. I enjoy the excitement over the possibility of 
them having an easier road to maybe an answer that I wish I had a road to. I think it's especially when you work in a medium that's not very widely taught the very like specifics of it I think it's really cool to think the person would have made it there regardless they would have came to this conclusion through trial and error but if I can speed that up for them and they can get to their final product faster where they created this visual language and they're able to express themselves in a way that makes them feel good like I said I really believe everyone could get to that point of course on their own it's just the idea of speeding that up for them which is something I would have loved to have more accessible learning in on this medium. I think that really excites me. And I would love to continue doing that for people who are interested in this very odd medium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. I would like to do one of your classes or at least watch it. Because when I learned it in school, you know, it's just a very basic, here's how you you do it. Now go do it. You know, yeah. it wasn't really shown. It was just talking about like what the medium was, how you do pointillism. I didn't feel like it was really taught. It was just just a five minute overview of how to do something. So yeah, so that's really interesting. No, that's well said. I think that's actually a very clear picture of kind of what goes on. So I think that if it can be kind of broken down in a way that's more (laughs) easily accessible and easily digestible, I I benefited from that. So basically, I try to treat it as how I would have wanted it. Awesome. Very cool. You mentioned, and I also read that Travis Louie was one of your teachers. Oh, yes. The man. (laughs) The man. So we had Travis on. He's wonderful. And I noticed in your pieces that you seem to, you capture that same beautiful, soft quality that Travis can have with some of the fur, the feathers on the birds that he gets with his monsters. Was this something that he helped teach you you mentioned he helped with the backgrounds that gradation with the graphite that he captures and you do as well beautifully so he's helped teach you some of those techniques yes he very much has and first of all I'm so honored that you think that because he's literally like my idol I think he's (laughs) world of him so I'm very honored that you see overlap there in our work I think everything that I do right kind of comes from Travis He basically took the very ugly sculpture that was me and made it very shiny and nice. Like I had the basics of what I wanted from this medium and I had the basic idea of how I want to approach it. But Travis really helped me clean up the edges of that and make it look like a finished product. And I could go on about Travis for hours. We're very close to this day. I just hung out with him last week. I I love him. I literally could talk about him and his wife, who is also an artist, and she is incredible too, Diana Louie. I could talk about the two of them forever. Basically, how it went with our friendship was I had him junior and sophomore year of college, and we just really hit it off because he doesn't said that, well, he had mentioned he didn't usually have students who were this into exactly what he's good at. And I just basically wanted to model my life after Travis. I idolized him. And I told him that I went to SVA because I specifically was very interested in learning from him. And basically, we just fit so well in a teacher student role that after classes ended, I continued to pay him for private lessons and actually go up to his house in upstate New York. And my boyfriend and I would go up there together and spend time with his family and see their studio. And he continued teaching me and we just created this incredible friendship and I will always consider him my mentor and he really helped me get into the gallery scene he helped me just in countless ways I really could go on (laughs) that's awesome yeah that's really amazing awesome I'm just curious first time I actually met Travis was at an event in which he was one of the artists who was presenting everybody there was so excited to see Travis it was my first time when he was there but he had been multiple times and the other guests had met him multiple times. I was like, Travis, Travis, Travis. Oh, I can't even imagine him as a teacher in a class. Like, I would think all the kids would be like, it's Travis. <laughs> that, yeah. Everybody was acting at the, like they were so excited to see him and to be near him and have him draw and show them his craft. Is it like that when he's your teacher? It is like that. He is just a special person. I feel like he has just this energy about him that is just really special. And I feel like I am someone who, as I mentioned, I get anxious easily. I suffer with a few things like that. Um, And he is the type of person that just loves to give back and just really just loves to genuinely help people and help young artists succeed. And he wants you to succeed. Like you can just see that it's, it's just 
written all over his face and his beautiful heart. And he just really encourages every single student, even if it's so different from what he's used to, even if you're doing something that's out of the box, he'll sit down. He won't say no. He'll sit down and say, okay, let's figure this out. Let's see what we can do with this. And the excitement in students' faces is like what you're talking about. He's a very, very special person. And I really feel like I got the courage to move forward with this in an intimidating art scene because he felt like I could. And I feel like that gave me a lot of strength. And I really could talk about Travis and how good of a person I think he is forever. I just, he deserves people to be excited to meet him. I, I'm happy to hear that he deserves that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, so I take it that he's a celebrity artist at the school. <laughs> he is. He definitely is. At least, at least in my eyes. I like, yeah. I like, but I was like, oh my God, Travis. Right, <laughs> like, right. That's how the he's that's how all these people were. And, and I knew his work. I didn't know what he looked like. I couldn't tell you who he was, but I was familiar with his work and I'd been admiring it for a long time at uh was White Walls, which no longer exists in San Francisco at the shooting gallery. But I was like, oh my God, that he's gonna be at this event. And yeah, everybody was crazy about him. I can't even imagine him as a teacher. Are the kids just like <gasps> Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, they definitely are. I, there's some students, I think, who didn't know about him before this. And then there's also that type of shock where they're like, oh, okay, Travis. And then they like look on Instagram like, oh, who is my teacher? And then they're like, whoa, Travis Louie. <laughs> like, I've also seen that school of, you know, group of students. And it's really funny to see that when that happens because I've just been such an admirer for so long. And, you know, I'll go back and visit his classes now and see like his current students. And there's definitely excitement and wow, Travis. That effect, I think, will live on in infamacy forever. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's very impressive. I read that you were showing in galleries when you were still in school. I was, yes. And Travis, you mentioned, helped you navigate that. He did. Were you like in school and you were like, I'm going to apply for this gallery? And did you consult with him or was he, your work is really good. You should apply to be in Haven or wherever it may, you know, Arch Enemy. How did that go down? <laughs> Just curious. Basically, he had said that he believed my work was good enough to be in galleries. And I had told him that I really want to go that route, that I feel like it would be a really good route for me to take. And he basically just said, you know, you should start applying, apply, apply soon and make money and start your career. If you feel solid in your foundation, when that moment comes that you're like, my work is going to look like this and I have a solid foundation in that, it can start early. So he said, apply where you feel comfortable and where you feel your work would be best. He didn't say any specifics. I had ran the list past him that I was had always been some of my dream spaces. And the first one that I had gotten into was a group show at Modern Eden. That was in 2021. And he helped me when I got the theme. I He helped me make that piece. And it's still one of my favorite pieces to this day. It's a toad with a snail on top of a little mushroom. And he had helped me with that. And from there, I got into Arch Enemy and a lot of my other dream galleries, which to this day still does not feel real. But he definitely helped me navigate that scene. And he helped me, which I think was the main thing that he really helped me see was it's not just about getting in, in a group show, especially you're kind of, the, it's definitely the wrong word to say competing, because it's not competing. I, I don't believe that. But it's for the eye space, especially when it's black and white art, it can kind of just be overlooked. And to the viewer, like the whole wall, it's, it's hard to keep someone's attention, especially if there's very like saturated or beautiful painting. So Travis really helped me learn the importance of contrast, especially in a group show, and how to make my pieces more visually dynamic and have better shapes and use the negative space better and how basically to make a piece that is very genuine, but also very visually pleasing for a gallery setting when it's going to be up against a wall with a ton of color and everything else. So in that way, I'd say that's the main thing that he helped me with was maintain my inclusion in these gallery shows through that. I saw in 2021, you did an artist residency. Yes, I did. Yay. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about this experience. How long was the residency? Where was it? <laughs> yeah. That was such a good time. That was in Greenport, New York, which about 35 minutes from me. I don't know if you guys have you ever been to Greenport. I don't know. I haven't been to Greenport. No, it's a very beautiful place. I highly recommend it. It's basically a little town on the coast of Long Island. I'm on the South Shore for reference. Anvil's like the South Shore of Long Island, Greenport. I think it's like the North Shore. So it's a very nice area and it's very nautical, like a very beachy town. And 
I did that in the winter of 2021. It was for one week, and I got to stay at the Harborfront Inn, which is an inn in Greenport on the water, which was just so magical. And they gave like a little table in the room to use as my studio. And the way that they hosted the residency was very open-ended, and they kind of just said, you know, do what you feel comfortable in this amount of time and make work that you feel comfortable with and share some images from the projects that you created. And then I had to do one live session, which went really great. It was really, really wonderful. I think the main thing that I took away from this residency was that growing up as a child, my favorite lighthouse on Long Island is called Horton's Point Light. And it's right down the road from this residency, coincidentally. And I hadn't been there in years And I went to the residency and I was like, I have to go back. I have to go back to this lighthouse. So I went to the lighthouse and it took a little spark of love for the lighthouses to a burning flame that I've just really carried with me through it. And I think visiting that place again, visiting the lighthouse and having a whole week to digest the childhood emotions that were tied to that, spending time with loved ones there, seeing grainy photos of myself standing in front of the lighthouse as a child. There was almost nothing like that. I I didn't expect that to happen because I almost didn't even connect the two. And then when I did, it just really sparked, reignited, I guess, my love for lighthouses. And my last solo show that just opened last month was called The Ghost Lights. It's all about lighthouses. And I've really carried the symbolism, which I think has a lot of parallels. And it's really good um, in the animal conservation scene and everything. And there's a lot of overlap in messages. And I think I've just gotten a lot and it all kind of started from that residency. I took a lot from that. Oh, that's so cool. When you had to do something live, did did that, did you have to set up somewhere and people would come by and check out what you're doing? Exactly. Yeah. I was just literally set up my little easel thing. I work on like a drafting table and I just live and I was drawing the Horton Point Lighthouse. It's, it's called Horton's Point Light. I think it's in my portfolio. It's like a giant seagull character or gull um that's the horton point light and that's my character horton who was born that day nice <laughs> i got to see chunky little horton on top of the lighthouse coming to life <laughs> right you didn't have i have to create x amount of pieces they just let it be very open that's awesome and it's only and it's only a week is this something you would recommend to other artists to do like do an artist residency Absolutely. I highly recommend it. The name of the actual application for this residency is the Uncommon Artist Residency. It is not for New York. They do them all across the country. They have them all across Uncommon Artist Residencies. And I believe they're all kind of the same layout that I'm saying, you know, maybe longer, shorter stay, but where you get to do work on your own projects and just share them with the community that's there. And it's really, really nice. So I highly suggest if anyone wants to look into it, Uncommon Artist Residencies. As you mentioned, and I read, you are very passionate about animal conservation. So did you grow up with a lot of animals? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Way too many animals. My poor parents. Yes, I was the type of kid that would <laughs> try to keep everything. If there was a hurt animal, I would try to pick it up and keep it. I was standing with my partner this morning and I was think, trying to think about, you know, how many pets did I have? And because we had looked over some of the questions and we were like, oh, I think it's 37. I think it's that I had (laughs) at one time. We had, it was called the animal room, quote unquote. And we had some unique pets, some very unique pets. (laughs) Um, Like like 10 ants and a snail. Um, That's not so far off. They were mostly bugs. They were a lot of bugs. Oh, nice. Um, (laughs) We birthed, I don't know how birthed is the wrong word. We we had... (laughs) it's where like you you have the butterflies and all that so I think the bulk of it was hermit crabs that was a real problem like the hermit crabs were the amount of the amount of (laughs) hermit crabs the amount of crabs that I had growing up was really quite impressive you know what I wanted a hermit crab so bad when I was little and my mother would never let me have one I was like I want a hermit crab Yeah, when I was young, there was a time where hermit crabs were all the rage. (laughs) Everyone had hermit (laughs) crabs. And I had to, I was like, I want a hermit crab so bad. My mom's like, you're not getting one. (laughs) What do you feed a hermit crab? (laughs) We used to give it some raw food sometimes, but primarily they have like a hermit crab (laughs) mix. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
but they like little lettuce and stuff and we'd give them just some fresh treats <laughs> but I yes I, I did have a lot of hermit crabs growing up and a lot of fish I have to this day actually a 150 gallon fish tank that I don't know if you guys know what these are it's so bad but it's like do you know what a plecostomus is or a pleco Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I want They're, to know. <laughs> like after this, you should look them up if you want to laugh. But this is like my obsession. They're basically algae eaters. They look kind of like tadpoles. I, cat, they're in the catfish family. And a lot of the time at pet stores, they're like the size of your pinky, maybe. And people buy them, they put them in their fish tank, and they start growing and growing and growing. And then they unfortunately die because people don't know that they needed a bigger tank because why would you they are like very small looking when you get it which is understandable but I have <laughs> saved a lot of plecos and I put them into this 150 gallon tank and they can live for up to 40 years so it feels like really nice wow. to actually save them in this tank and we have over I think eight plecos two of them are like uh, over a foot long one of them is almost two feet long now he's huge oh my wow. god it's pretty cool. So I that's kind of my pride and joy. It's a it's a fish tank that's rewarding because I feel like the plecos might have not done so well so well. <laughs> it feels like a happy the pleco saver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're very weird. You're gonna look them up and be like, oh my god, that's what she was talking about. Wow. <laughs> and they get so big. I'm wondering if I, I've seen them and then just didn't know what that's what they were called. I do definitely have. They're pretty common in a lot of fish tanks but then I think people think oh they only live like one or two years but they actually live like 40 years which is pretty fascinating oh <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna have these fish for like you're gonna be like in your 50s by the time <laughs> <laughs> I know I got them oh I'm 24 now I got them when I was like the one that's like two feet I think I got that one when I was 18 so yeah he's gonna be with me a long time <laughs> oh my gosh what color well, are they they're all different colors. The one that's like a special one that I have is a green with like yellow spots. The one that's like two feet long, it's like spotted, kind of tiger colored. It's like brown and tan with like these little stripes and the other one has spots. But they come in so many different colors. There's actually two species of plecos that are endangered, the zebra pleco and actually from fish trading. They're like a highly traded fish that's kind of like under the radar I, I don't of course I do not vouch for that the opposite of that I try to save them but they are like a very odd commodity in the fish world <laughs> huh yeah I'm looking it up I am gonna look that up yeah <laughs> they're very beautiful too. they're very beautiful <laughs> I love how you have these large sea creatures like whales and sharks outside of the water in your pieces floating in the sky it's very surreal and it seems like you favor sea creatures as pets as well. <laughs> so can you tell us more about what your connection is to the water, to the sea creatures? Sure. I think it, it primarily goes back to growing up on Long Island, so near to the water. I don't live on the water, but I'm within walking distance and growing up. And to this day, I bring my paddleboard down and paddle in the mornings. I spend time with the aquatic life and I am a surfer I did grow up surfing and spending a ton of time in the ocean with my brother and my parents and my parents were actually married on a whale boat in this small Canadian town it was off the coast of Nova Scotia but I don't remember the exact town they were married on a whale boat and I think seeing the pictures of that and the whales like jumping next to them being married and they have a really beautiful relationship I'm very very lucky to have them as my parents they are extremely supportive and they have always pushed the importance of keeping our beaches clean, protecting these beautiful animals, not taking advantage of it and abusing it. And I think that really was ingrained so deep as a young child, the importance of that. My mom actually wanted to be a cetologist. Is that correct? It's the study of whales and marine biology. And I think that her knowledge and my dad's knowledge um, just really created a deep love and a deep passion for animals of all kind, but especially ocean animals, as I just spend a lot of my time in the water. Awesome. That's so cool. I, I love it. I love it. It looks like we're on to our lightning round. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to ask a series of quick questions and you just answer the first thing off the top of your head. What is your favorite art tool? The Core Micron 003. <laughs> cool. What is your favorite paint if you use it? I, I guess acrylic golden if I was going to paint. Okay. Yeah. Animals or people? 
animals. <laughs> Computer or paper? <laughs> paper. I cannot. <laughs> it's a shock. I'm on the Zoom call. <laughs> paper. All the way paper. <laughs> Who are your top three artist influences? Uh, Travis Louis, Lisa Erickson, Audrey Kawasaki are the names that come to mind. Okay. If you could bring back one animal from extinction, what animal would it be? Oh, God. Um, Maybe the Western Black Rhino. That one always made me real sad, and I really feel like that was a great loss. So yeah. probably. Other than being an artist, what would your dream job be? Definitely an author. Interesting. I do, do write you, a lot. Do you write a lot? I actually maybe have a book. Yes. You have a book coming out. Really? I do. Oh, uh, is it adult? What kids? What is it? So it's basically, it's a very odd, that's why I kind of have to describe it. It's a very odd scenario. My show, The Ghost Lights, that just opened at Arch Enemy Arts, there were eight pieces. Each of the eight pieces has a short story and the book is called The Ghost Lights and it's the story of each of the ghosts in those pieces and it's about extinction because every animal in that series is extinct and every lighthouse doesn't exist anymore so that whole show is a series of lighthouses that don't exist and the whole book is about the stories behind them and it's interesting I think it's a fun book and it's basically I guess you'd call it like young adult um but for adults too it's very just very classically written ghost stories but with a a twist on real environmentalism and conservation and are you getting this published somewhere or are you self-publishing so arch arts is going to be selling so the gallery is helping me so i'm having them made and i am gonna make an edition of we're still working this out i think it's gonna be a hundred and I'm going to sign the first edition of it and sell it through the gallery and then hopefully try to get it actually published and maybe through a bigger selling situation. But the first. Do you know when they're going to go on sale? Hopefully before Christmas, but I can't commit to that entirely. But within okay. the next few months, absolutely. I just want to make sure it's really perfect before I give it to everyone. I was all, I want one. <laughs> right. yeah. I, was all, I was all, I want one. They should be available by early 2024. Absolutely by then, yes. From yep. Arch Enemy. Are you doing a GoFundMe to pay for the first hundred? I actually am using the money that I made from the show. I had set aside X amount, and I that's kind of also why I waited, is that I'm very grateful almost all the originals in that show have sold. So I'm going to put the funds directly into the book in the hopes that the book will then generate revenue, which... I'm able to do it this time and I'm really excited about it. I think that's going to be something really great. And then from after that hundred copies, if that goes well, then maybe I will do like a GoFund or something to create a bigger situation for it. But I hope that after that, I could maybe try to get it published in a, in a different scenario. I'm very excited either Yay, way. Yay, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to self-publish it. So which boutique self-publishing are you using company? Like there's Lulu Books and... I forgot the name of it, but it was a very fair price and I liked it because they used eco-friendly paper and a lot of my values were in line with their practices and I was really excited about that. So hopefully that works out with them and I will definitely include the name of who I get them made by um, just so everyone can look into, of course, the, the materials behind the book and everything if you choose to support it. And I'm very excited about that. Yeah, yeah it's very exciting. Very yeah. cool. So one last question. If you could ask one question of any artist, living or dead, who would that artist be and what question would you ask? Ooh. Ooh, that's so hard. <laughs> okay, well, I feel like I've always wanted to ask a living artist. The one that comes to mind, maybe because I was looking at her work recently, I find her really inspirational, was Audrey Kawasaki. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. And I would probably ask her if there's a piece that she's sold in her very long, amazing career that she wishes she could have back, if somehow she could have one back, like which one would she have wanted to keep? I feel like that's what I would ask because I think about that sometimes. Like if there's one piece I could have back, which would it be? <laughs> would it so be? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a good question, honestly. It's for artists, like it makes us think. I, I'm honestly curious. Do you guys have that thought sometimes? Yeah, I've had that thought, but... <laughs> it's really funny the pieces that I tend to really like that I was like I don't know if I want to sell it tend to not sell 
anyway. So I actually, well, there's one piece that I thought for sure would sell, but the show ended up not happening. So it's just still sitting here. So I don't know. I don't know. It might've sold. And that would have been one. I was like, ah, I wish I had that one back. Yeah. Do you have a piece, Juliet, that you long for or you miss? I think the one that I use as my quote unquote logo now, the one that's my bio profile, um, Oscar the Octopus. The first time I drew that octopus, it was part of my first gallery show. I guess it was gallery show. It was in 2019, actually. I was showing out in Long Island. It was at a surfboard shop. So it was like, I wouldn't call it a full gallery exhibition it was with a few other artists it was more like a collective um, but it was a really special shop it was called grain surfboards and it's handmade surfboards I actually made a wooden surfboard there and it was a really nice situation I had sold that piece it was the first piece I ever sold in a gallery situation and I do miss it but I'm I'm happy that they live with people who are so kindly send me photos a lot of the time of them in their new homes and stuff so although it's hard it does feel good to see them in their new home so I try to make peace with it (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) it all feels we all feel that, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. Where can we find you online? So I am the most up to date on my website and my Instagram. My website is juliatreckinger.com. My Instagram is the same, just at juliatreckinger. And I am on Twitter. I think it's Schreckinger Art because Julia Schreckinger was just too many characters. Um, <laughs> and I am on threads, but I think that's just connected to my Instagram. And it's the same name, Julia Schreckinger as well as Facebook, Julia Treckinger. Okay. And where can people find Daisy? And where can they find you on Daisy if they want to pursue that? So you have to download the Daisy app. It is a phone application. And once you download that, you should be able to search my name and join my classes and watch my pre-recorded programs. And I believe you could turn on notifications if you'd like to see any updates coming classes that I'm going to have, they'll schedule it a few weeks out usually and let people know, oh, Monday X date, she's going to have a class. And I'll also announce that on my Instagram. I use stories a lot on Instagram to announce classes. I don't usually post it as a grid, but I will announce it. So if you wanted to check my stories, that's also a good place to see where I post announcements about that. Okay, great. And for 2024, we have your book to look forward to, which will be available at Arch Enemy. And what else do you have coming up for 2024? So I am going to have a solo show at Nakata in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. If you know that gallery, they're a lovely little coastal gallery. It's on like the border of Maine. I've showed with them. They do the enormous tiny art show every year. I'm not sure if that rings well. They're kind of, I think, newer on the scene in some ways, but they're really wonderful. They're actually a totally woman-run gallery, and they're really, really amazing people. I find them so supportive and wonderful to work with. So I was super excited when they offered me a show. So that will be in July of 2024. And then I will have another Arch Enemy solo show in December of 2024, which I think I'm not supposed to say it, but I'm gonna anyway, I think it's going to be the sequel to the ghost lights. So I I think I'm gonna do (laughs) way too early to be announcing that, but I probably (laughs) should do but oops, I did. So I think it's going to be the sequel to that. Exclusive. <laughs> right. Oh, well. <laughs> but yeah, so that and then I'm in a few group shows. I'm in, I'm very excited. I'm in actually the Modern Eden show Reverie. I hope I'm saying that right. That's coming up next month. The fair. I'm in their flashback sale as well. I don't know. I think that's running alongside Mass or maybe it opens up during um, around Thanksgiving time. I'm not really positive. They usually do it the weekend of thanksgiving but they changed it last year so i'm not sure what yeah weekend they're running it yeah <laughs> and then for 2024 i'm in a few of their shows a few giant robot store shows and some maybe some arch enemy arts group shows i'm not positive yet and maybe some other group shows i'm not sure of yet but those are the ones that are on the books officially for now <laughs> right 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 awesome cool. yeah, yeah. Well, th- thank you thank you so much for joining us today Thank you so much for having me. I really do admire you both so much. And I really do mean that. So I was so excited when you asked me. I like, <laughs> jump in. thank you so much. Uh, well, thanks. thank you for coming on. Yeah. Your your work is amazing. So is. I'm really excited to see where you go when you can continue on your trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That really does mean a lot to me. Thank you so much for saying that.
KepiCloud, the premier destination for art lovers and collectors around the globe. Immerse yourself in a curated collection of exquisite masterpieces from talented artists across genres and styles. At KepiCloud, we only work with vetted and trusted artists. Our lower commissions passes collectors' support directly to the artist, allowing them to more fully benefit and thrive. We welcome collectors' questions about pieces and scheduling an online meeting with an artist to discuss a piece subject to availability. Currently, find the Kepi Cloud Art Gallery on bigcartel.com. Find your fine art in the cloud at Kepi Cloud Art. Hello and welcome back. Well, that was so nice of Juliet to join us. Yeah, she was so fun to talk to. And I can't believe she's as accomplished as she is and she's only 24. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it, but she's great. Crazy. Like, she's so good at what she does. Right. And she's so sweet. She's, she's so, yeah. so nice. Her artwork is beautiful and tender mm -hmm. and sweet. And she is so tender and sweet and beautiful. Right. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And when I say like accomplished, before we brought her on, I didn't know about her personally. I just loved her artwork. I never would have thought she was as young as she was because her work is that good. I can't wait to see where she is in 10 years. Yeah. I didn't think that she was as young Yeah, as she was. Her artwork with the lighthouses and the, the sea life and the way she handles the subjects, the animals with the little captain hats and everything. It has an old soul feel yes. to it and then you see this beautiful young girl yeah okay. you're like oh <laughs> it's like, yeah. my son is older than you <laughs> right that's right. what I was like almost say to my daughter I didn't yes. want to say that to her <laughs> oh yeah I didn't either but she super super sweet a joy to speak with and yeah her work is so incredible she really understands her why that we've talked about she understands it like you get it right when you see her work. She does. And and I wonder how much with Travis, who we interviewed and is so accomplished and completely mm -hmm. understands his why, his brand, consistency, perfect, perfect yeah. model artist right there. Right. <laughs> and that's her mentor. Her mentor. Yeah. That's a thrill. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the similarities in her artwork, but then when I read that she, Travis Louie was her teacher and mm -hmm. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. And then when she said that she actually paid him for private lessons after school, and I'm very curious to know how much those private lessons were, but I just yeah, want to be like, rude. Oh, oh really? <laughs> how much does a lesson with Travis Louis cost? It right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. She's great. Yeah. Wow. And there's only one other artist. I'm sure that there are many, but there's one other artist, another woman who I heard about who was showing when she was still in art school, mm -hmm. showing with galleries regularly and selling very consistently successfully. And that was right. Sarah Jonkis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Julia Checkinger now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, was it wasn't me. <laughs> it's like, I was struggling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, late bloomer here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, it was a real pleasure speaking with her. I'm so glad she came on. <laughs> me too, me too. Her process mm -hmm. and her amount of knowledge, just in terms of the chemical makeup of the products that she's using and how they respond and how will they they'll last. And it was right. mind blowing. It's just when she was talking about the material that she uses to adhere the watercolor paper to the cradle mm -hmm. panels. Mm -hmm. I was what is that? Like, yeah, all art supplies I have never heard of. <laughs> like, what am, what am I using here? I think I was really impressed when she says she uses a 0. 0.003 micron <laughs> because I know I've used a 0. 0.005 for really, really fine detail work. And that is tiny. It's smaller than that. And I've watched her videos where her process videos and stuff like that. And I've gone, Wow. And that's what I'm so impressed with by pen and ink work is it's a level of patience I just will never have in my life. It's gorgeous. And I so appreciate the skill and the time that goes into it. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When you talked about working on a piece and then putting it on your easel and all I was thinking in my head was just get the paint, just get the paint, just get the paint, get... just the paint. Yeah. I can do this faster with paint. And I started to feel a little bit of that when I tried to even do colored pencils somewhat recently mm-hmm. after we interviewed Troy and yeah, I was like, just, just get the paint. Just, just the get paint. the paint. That's, that's what I do. I'll like be sketching as I am going to render a drawing. I don't do it very often. I do every now and then. Then I'll start, I'll start sketching them all. This would be a lot faster. <laughs> just throw paint on it. Yeah. Oh, so much patience and that mm-hmm. the little thoughts. Oh my God. And then she talked about how to get the gradation with the tape and the yeah. graphite. I was, oh my God. I, I would have had no idea. No, <laughs> never heard of that. I'm serious. I'm, I might take one of her classes or at least like watch one of her lessons on that Daisy site that she was talking about. I think that's interesting. Did you look into it? I have to look into it. If the Daisy app, do you get charged to download the app as a paid app? Or I don't know. I haven't got, I just kind of went on there to look at it. And that's about as far as I went. So I have to dive into it a little more. <laughs> it sounds like, is it like masterclass where you pay a subscription? It might be. It I might be. Yeah. I'm very curious. I have to look into it. And she's just fresh out of school, but she has so much knowledge. It's like, she's already teaching. I know. And it was funny. She's like, I'm not a teacher. And I was like, oh, but you are. But she is. She is. It it seemed very natural for her with all of the information she even shared with us in Mm -hmm. that small. Yeah, I I learned just from talking with her. She's a natural teacher. (laughs) She is. Okay. Well, where can we find you online, Catherine? You can find me on my website, which is tncanvas.com or on social media, which is Facebook, Instagram, and threads all at tncanvas. Great. And I am at skiesart.com or skiesartshop on Instagram and threads. And please follow and like Off the Easel podcast wherever you listen to it. As Jack Cousteau once said, we must plant the sea and herd its animals. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and happy Happy creating. creating.